Today on the Shrep Takes podcast show, I'm going to break down the Nuggets-Lakers game and explain what the Nuggets can do to continue to make this series interesting for the Lakers. All that stuff up next, including more NBA info on the Shrep Takes podcast show. Welcome back to the Shred Takes Podcast Show. Glad you guys could join us again. And I'm really excited to get into all the stuff that I want to break down here today. Starting, obviously, with the Nuggets' great performance yesterday. What they did yesterday against the Lakers was pretty exceptional, in my opinion. And it wasn't just the fact that they dominated the second and third quarters yesterday. It was more the fact of how they just dominated the game generally. The fact that it was this close was a little bit troublesome, I think, to the Nuggets. But Good for them. They got a big win. And I, I, like I said before, I saw the series going six games, possibly seven. And I think it's going to go six games based on them getting that win. They had to get that win or else, in my opinion, it would have been a sweep or a five-game series. Now I think it's going to be six because I think Denver is going to get another win, either in game four or game five. And where I see this going. So let's just break down exactly what I took away, key stats from the game, and the problems I saw with the Lakers yesterday. So the Lakers got 30 from LeBron James. He had 20 of those in the second half. He had 13 in the fourth quarter, but not really a lot down the stretch. He kind of lost a little bit of his gas. Anthony Davis had 27 points, but only had two rebounds. And Rondo had a great game. Rondo gave you a lot of great production with nine points, eight assists. And Kuzma gave you 11 points off the bench. But Kuzma just makes plays that make you – Scratch your head a little bit. I mean, he had one rebound in 26 minutes. That's a little bit unacceptable. Um, and also, you look at just the fact that they just didn't really put their foot on the gas yesterday. And that, like, that's what people were going to say, right? That they didn't put their foot on the gas, which is definitely something I saw. But really, if you look from an adjustment standpoint, they just didn't really scramble very well defensively. And they left a lot of open three-point shooters, which got guys like Monte Morris open and Leon got go- going early. It got like a porter going. And got Jeremy Grant going, too, because Jeremy Grant got a lot of easy ones to start the game. And if you want the others to get easy shots, that's going to build their confidence because you already have Jokic and Murray who are already instilling confidence into those guys. So having the others kind of produce in that way is big for the Nuggets going forward. Now, Nuggets also, in terms of clutch moments, Jamal Murray has made eight threes in clutch moments in the playoffs, which basically is defined as with five minutes or less, a five-point game or less. And he has been making the most three-pointers in those moments besides Steph Curry in 2016 playoffs. So, yeah, Jamal Murray's really emerging. Jokic has been a clutch player. I mean, we saw what he did in game two with that big buckets, couple buckets to put him up ahead. Where I see the problem with the, the Nuggets really is the fact that they didn't weren't able to blow the Lakers out of that game in the fourth quarter, how they let them creep back right in because of their inexperience. Now, the Nuggets are a team that's not going to go away, but I want to break down some stats quickly that I think you guys should take away that are incredibly important and that is going to be a big thing to look at as the series transfers over to game four and goes longer. So, from the Lakers' side, they just had a very, very poor game yesterday. If you really look at their impact. Now, if you were to say LeBron had 30 points, he had 27, which is great. 
But then if you look at even like, you know, look, Caldwell Pope had 12 points, which is great. I mean, again, like, you know, they shot 51.8% from the floor. So, like, you know, it wasn't like they, from two-point range, did a bad job. But you shoot 23% from three and a little under 64% from the line compared to Denver, who shot 54% from the floor, 38% from three, a little under that, 37.9, and 79.3% from the line. It, you're not going to win many games doing that. And that's the problem with the Lakers all season. The Lakers don't have a great shooting cast. If Danny Green's not hitting threes, if Kuzma's not hitting threes, if Caldwell Pope's not hitting threes, the Lakers are going to struggle. If Rondo comes off the bench and can't hit the side of the backboard, that's what the Nuggets are doing. The Nuggets are, again, like they did against the Clippers. They're packing the paint, and they're making it really difficult for the Lakers to be effective. And what that does is it causes a struggle for LeBron because LeBron is forced to shoot more jumpers than I think he ideally would want to. Now, how can he adjust to that? That's pretty simple. Get in the post, get deeper position. So you're not shooting fadeaways where you're not catching it 10 to 15 feet out and having to try and make a move. Like get deeper position, be more aggressive from the start, and you'll be fine. The problem is he wasn't very aggressive from the start. And that's the problem there, right? Is like those numbers, I think, also stem from the adjustments that the Nuggets made in this game. And also the fact that LeBron, I think, could have taken more advantage in the post to start the games, and I don't think he did that. I think he was trying to get guys involved too much, which led to five of his six turnovers in the first half. I think he was making some poor decisions on his part because I think he wasn't really reading the passing lanes well and trying to do a little too much, trying to facilitate because the defense was collapsing. But it's pretty simple. Like, you know, you watch even Anthony Davis yesterday too. When you're doubling someone in the post, you don't try to go barrel through the double team. It's going to be a charge. Jeremy Grant took a great charge on him late in the game for that reason. And all he has to really do is just catch it and shoot it over the double team. He's a good, he's a good mid-range shooter. All he has to do is just catch that little fadeaway over the glass. He misses it, he misses it. But, like, that's the thing. Andy Davis has got to, you know, use that, use the adjustments to further enhance better numbers. And as a result of that, that will allow the Nuggets to be more effective, right? Because if, if Andy Davis is staying away from the paint, the Nuggets are going to be in better positions because the Nuggets keep the game close. They can keep the Lakers on their heels, all that kind of stuff, right? I think also if you look at it just from like another standard, standard point of just the fact that you look at what the Nuggets did also, the Nuggets really found a way to get, the like, like I said, the others involved, but they also found ways to get Jamal Murray really going late in the game. Jamal Murray made a, big, a lot of big shots, especially when, they, when Jokic wasn't getting the ball. The only problem, though, even though they did get Jamal Murray going when they needed him to, they did struggle in the fourth quarter against the zone, which is something the Lakers should probably look to doing is changing up their defenses a little bit against the Nuggets so that, you know, getting the ball out of Jokic's hands will definitely prove to be better for them going forward. And people are to say, why is that? Why is it better? Because if they have Jamal Murray, like, isn't that, you know, if you put the ball in Jamal Murray's hands, isn't that also his problem? I think actually Jamal Murray is great at creating, but Jokic makes it really easy for him because Jokic gives him great handoffs and great passes to put him in the ISO situations where he can be successful against that Lakers defense that likes to pressure you, likes to use their length, likes to switch longer players. If you're putting, if you're taking those guys away from the basket and you're putting them on in positions where Jokic gets to throw the ball and make easy plays for Jamal Murray, that's going to allow Jamal Murray to dominate more. And I think if you take the ball out of Jokic's hands and make Jamal Murray have to create everything by himself while he's really good at that, I think it's a better way to beat the Nuggets because Jokic is such an anomaly on the offensive end, and it's so hard to guard him because of what he can do in terms of his IQ, in terms of his skill. And if the Lakers can find a way to just try to continue to throw different defenses at him, 
that's what happened. People are going to look at the game and say, oh, well, the, you know, the Nuggets wanted it more. And that's not really necessarily completely true. I think the Nuggets played harder for three quarters in terms of just getting offensive rebounds and loose balls and turnovers and all that kind of stuff. I think the Lakers made a lot of dumb decisions in terms of just figuring out how to adjust to Denver's pack line and gap pressure defense. But I think that there was a little bit of a indecision by the Nuggets to really take over that game. And really, like, Jokic and Murray should have been sitting that entire fourth quarter. Game should have been over. But they didn't adjust to that zone well. That's because the Lakers decided to put more effort. When the Lakers put effort into things, when they turn it on, they're, they're a much better team than the Nuggets. But the Nuggets also hang around because the Nuggets play really hard and they have a great system, right? So that's really where I go from there. Now, also, if you're going to look at just the fact that, like, what's going to also tell the reason why the Nuggets are going to win, this is also goes down to effort. So this goes down to positioning and everything like that. The Nuggets out-rebounded the Lakers by almost 20 rebounds last night. It was 44 to 25. And that's a contri- contributing factor to the series because if Anthony Davis is giving you two rebounds, which I don't see, see him ever doing again, the Nuggets are going to win that game because Anthony Davis, that means he's far away from the paint. That means he's not being aggressive going to the basket. It means he's shooting a lot of jump shots, which even though he's good at, like I said, that's what the Nuggets want. The Nuggets don't want LeBron or AD dominating inside because that's where they can get easy buckets and get going to start the game. And that's going to be a big thing going forward. Now, the reason the Lakers were in the game, though, is because the Lakers had 27 assists, which was one more than the, than the uh, Nuggets. They had 16 turnovers, which allowed us for the beginning of the game. But the big problem with the Lakers really is going to stem down to, like I said before, the shooting of their players. They don't shoot the ball from three or the free throw line well. They have a problem with defending guards like Murray. And they also have an issue on the glass occasionally when they don't bring it uh, with their energy. Now, people were saying Dwight Howard brought great energy last night. Well, I'm I'm gonna look at his stats right now, and I'm gonna tell you right now, based on what he did, he had one rebound. If you're playing 14 minutes, you gotta give me more than one rebound if you're him. If you're this guy that's supposed to go in the game and bring a sense of urgency. One block and one rebound mixed along with four points isn't good enough. And he also was his plus minus was minus one. Actually, their entire bench had a negative plus minus yesterday. Which, again, shows you the Lakers' depth. The problem, if LeBron and AD don't come out and put their foot on the gas and try to dominate the games, that's where the problems are going to arise in this series. And I think the Nuggets kind of exposed something. I think with the Lakers, again, like I said, the Lakers can adjust it by getting LeBron AD easier shots going early. LeBron's got to be better taking care of the ball and reading the defense a little bit better. And, again, LeBron's got to find ways to just, you know, be aggressive. Don't settle if he doesn't have to settle. If he sees that they're walling him off, get in the paint and post up like he did before in previous series, and then use that to be effective, right? I mean, again, he had 30 points, which you'll look at the stats, and he did actually do a decent job, 11 assists, 10 rebounds. And he did it good in the second half. But the problem is, is those impact of that early, he didn't really put his imprint in the game. And I think if he played as, hard, as aggressive as he did in the second half in terms of trying to attack the defense and trying to get in the post, it would have been a different game. And I think that's where, going forward, you have to look at that and say, okay, that makes sense. This is where the Lakers and Nuggets can go from here. And I think it will go six games, like I said before. Now, the, the Heat and Celtics are an interesting series, right? Game four is tonight. Uh, the Celtics won game three, and 
They won 115 to 104. Where I see the problem with the Celtics just all stems down to their, in, their, their inability to close games effectively. And I talked to Tommy Mobley about this a little bit, who has been on this podcast before to break down the Celtics. My problem with the Celtics really is just they have – it's not that their talent, it's not their coaching, it's the inexperience that these guys have in closing games. Because, again, Jason Tatum, it's his first year as being the man on a team, right? So having him try to close out games, even though he can do it, it's hard because the Heat are a team, not unlike the Raptors, that are much better offensively. The Heat, the Heat I mean, are a much better offensive team. So if you don't make the right plays down the stretch, the Heat can burn you on that because the Heat run a very good offensive system. And they have a player proven in Jimmy Butler that can make clutch shots. Even Goran Dragic can make clutch plays. Or Bam Adebayo can make clutch plays. Or Tyler Hero can make clutch plays. Right? So they have four guys in their team who you can trust in the clutch. The Celtics really, I think, have one guy, and maybe Jalen Brown. Actually, I'm sorry. The one guy I mean that I can trust is probably Kemba Walker. You can probably trust Jalen Brown and Jason Tam sometimes, but there is a little bit of a lapse that happened in that fourth quarter of the year game. And everyone's like, oh, they had that in the bag. I, I didn't know that they – I really didn't think they did personally. I, I was really worried about that. And their big thing for tonight is they got to attack the zone the same way they did in game three, which was get a guy in the middle, have him try to attack that teeth of that guy who's you know playing the middle of the zone, and then either get to the rim, shoot a little pull-up, or kick it out. Because the Celtics, the reason why they're not shooting a good percentage of three, I broke it down a little bit, is because they're shooting a lot of contested threes because I don't think they're getting great three-point open looks. Now, if you penetrate that zone and you suck the defense in where they have to send one or two guys to you, a guy's going to be wide open in the corner, and that gives them an opportunity to get easy threes to start the game. Now, I think also a big thing for them is they got to have Gordon Hayward continue to, to be – a big presence in the lineup because I think he was, even though his stat line won't show it, he was a big port reason they won that game three the other night. And the reason why he, he was a big reason was because of his ability to just attack the defense and make plays, right? He's only two of seven for the floor with six points. But what he did really well was he got into the paint and made really good kickouts to open three-point shooters because he is a guy when healthy that can give you 18 points a game, no problem. And that's a big piece for them. That's why I had the Celtics originally winning a seven. I still think if they win tonight, I definitely think that pick will happen. If they don't, it's going to be tougher. I think this game is really the game they should treat like a game seven. I talked to my teammate Will Phelan about this a little bit, and he was saying how this game really is like a game seven for them, how they have to really treat it like that. And if you think about that just from all those circumstances, that's really at the end of the day where we go and say, okay, the Celtics can do this, this, and this well, which is they can penetrate the zone. They can not turn the ball over. They will, should have to rebound a high level, and they got to control the guarding the three-point line very effectively. Can't let Duncan Robinson go off. Can't let Tyler Hero get open looks. you got to stay sound. you got to get make sure those guys who are three-point shooters don't go off, and you guys have a chance because you guys are, are, in my opinion, a more talented team. The Heat have a really good system, but again, it's going to come down to adjustments. If they can adjust, because the Heat will make adjustments tonight. They will find little wrinkles in their zone that will make it a little bit more effective to chase guys off the line. But the Celtics can keep attacking, get in situations where they can get a guy like Kelly Olynyk on them as opposed to Bam Adebayo. That will prove really good for them because I think Kelly Olynyk's one guy they really should attack defensively if he's in the game as I think he's slower footed. If Bam Adebayo is very difficult to go by, 
because he's six nine, he has quick feet, and he understands how to play the game really well. So that's a problem there, even just from that standpoint. Because if you're trying to switch five defensively, sometimes it's tough if you don't have a slow if you have a slow moving big, right? Like that's why the Celtics have trouble with trying to switch five. They have Ennis Cantor in there because Ennis Cantor is not good defensively because of his, his slow f- foot speed. But what I think will happen for the Celtics tonight is I think they actually will win tonight because I think what they're going to do is that you'll see better offensive production from Gordon Hayward and you'll see the same impact he had. And I think the Celtics will find a way to figure to learn from their fourth quarter and Brad Stevens will make the right adjustments because he is one of the best coaches in the league. Sposter is too. It will be a dog fight. I think it will be a close game, but I do see the Celtics coming out with this victory tonight. And I think it's because of the fact that I think they're going to make the proper adjustments and I think they'll be finding ways to attack that heat zone and the different wrinkles defensively that the Heat want to throw at them. Now, I actually want to shift over to the NFL for a minute, and I want to talk a little bit about teams that have impressed me so far and teams that haven't. So in the end part of the show, I'm going to talk about these NFL things, and I'm also going to break down for people who don't know. I'm going to talk about the Daniel House investigation a little bit and explain that as well. So let's start first with the NFL, right? So the Teams that have impressed me, I think the top five teams that have impressed me the most have been the Ravens. They are right now the best team in football, in my opinion. Seattle Seahawks, the Green Bay Packers, the Los Angeles Rams, and I probably would say the Chiefs are the the top. Not really necessarily in order there, but because I would probably put the Chiefs above the Rams right now or because I think the Packers look more impressive. Now it's two weeks, and now the teams that don't really impress me that much have been the Bengals, the Dolphins, the Giants, the Jack, uh, the Jets. Um, those teams have just not been very good, especially the Giants and Jets. I mean, I'm a Giants fan, and it's very hard to watch. And I and I, I can break that down pretty simply for you. The Giants just can't run the football. Daniel Jones turns the ball over too much, and they have to their defense has to exhaust a lot of minutes because of the fact that their offense can't move the ball. And we can say that's the inexperience of Joe Judge, which I think is partially that. But I think it's also the fact that Daniel Jones has to be smarter. When he makes plays, when he gets pressured, he can't throw the football in in situations that are going to be unsuccessful. He's got to either take a sack or learn to to throw the ball out of bounds better so he doesn't fumble the football and he doesn't turn the ball over. right Right now he has four turnovers overall. He only has two touchdowns. So that's really at the end of the day. The one problem I see with the Giants. The Jets the same way. Jets can't get anything moving offensively. Defensively, they're, they're not very good. Adam Gase is doing a really poor job in terms of the offensive adjustments and all that kind of stuff. Like, again, against the Bills, like, they look really bad offensively. And you would think that next week against a depleted San Francisco team, they would look better. They did not. They looked a lot worse. And the two New York teams right now are the two worst teams in football. With the Dolphins, the Dolphins are competitive, but they're just not good enough on, on the defensive side of the ball against the Bills or even the offensive side of the ball against the Patriots. They're just not a very good team. And the Bengals just aren't a good team, even despite the fact that I've really been impressed with Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow's done an unbelievable job in the first two games, but the Bengals just aren't a good team, and we, and we know that. They're, they're just not there yet as a team. They're just you know a very struggling team. Even Minnesota, to an extent, Minnesota's been a team that has not impressed me. Minnesota had a horrible week at the Colts. You had Kirk Cousins, who went 11 of 26, three interceptions in that loss. So, again, I think the Minnesota Vikings are a team that needs to be um, 
really a, a piece of concern for the NFL and for Vikings fans. I mean, their team just doesn't look very good. Losing Stephon Diggs, you can tell, has really hurt them with Kirk Cousins. And I think the Vikings are starting to lose a little faith in Kirk Cousins just because of the fact that he's not making the right accuracy plays. And that's something he's been known for for his career. Last thing I want to break down quickly is just a Daniel House investigation, right? So everyone's seen this in the news, and I think that people need to know exactly what it is, what happens, all of the kind of drama that went around it. Now, I want to preference it by saying that if this wasn't COVID, this thing would obviously not be a big deal, right? Because the reason why this is a big deal is because the close, close encounters we have with people, right? And that's – and he broke NBA protocol. Basically, according to reports – from Yahoo Sports, New York Post, ESPN, NBA.com, all these things I've read. Basically what happened was he had a temperature worker in his room and she got flagged by security. And basically he didn't play in game three, didn't play in game four, got kicked out before game five happens. And Tyson Chandler was in, a, in that problem for, for two, but they didn't really investigate Tyson Chandler. They investigated Daniel House and they kicked him out of the league because he did have an unauthorized female guest. And as a result of that, his wife now is really upset with him. And on social media, she was going off about basically how he has to reap what he sows. And that's a problem. And basically, yeah, he had an unauthorized female guest, according to reports. He denies it. And that's kind of the gist of what happened. And the protocol basically says if you have someone that's not authorized by the NBA to come into your room or come into the hotel, you will either get suspended, fined, or kicked out, and he got kicked out. So the NBA has withstood and withheld their rules, and I think basically comes down to everything. Like, you know, if this was not a COVID time, this obviously wouldn't be a big deal. And Kevin Durant even said that, like, he doesn't blame Daniel House because it gets lonely down there and whatever. But Daniel House also has a wife, and – I get it. Like he's probably missing that portion, but you have to know the rules, right? You have to understand that the NBA has rules there for a reason. I'm not going to question Daniel House's personality or who he is. I'm just going to question that decision in that moment to make that call. And if he denies it happens and it turns out that this whole thing was just a, you know, a crazy thing, whatever, but based on the evidence, the NBA concluded it did happen and it was a big deal. And as a result of that, the Houston Rockets lost a very valuable player in that series. I think they still would have lost anyway. But having Daniel House, a guy who was averaging 11.4 points a game in the playoffs and shooting 36% from three, would have been more helpful going forward. Thank you for joining the show. I will be back on this weekend, and I hope to see you guys there. Have a good one. Thank you.